So uh, the Buddha said that um, patience is a supreme virtue. There are a lot of virtues. Interesting that he said that patience was the supreme virtue. So let's think about what patience is. A moment arises and it has a feeling tone. It's neutral or it's pleasant or it's unpleasant. When a moment arises and it has an unpleasant tone to it, could be a minor irritation or a major tragedy or anything in between, a moment arises that's unpleasant. If we can abide in it without adding fire to the fire, we have a better chance of flowing through it without suffering. Patience is the quality that allows us to abide in unpleasant moments arising. One of the seminal teaching of the Buddha is the Four Noble Truths, or many. It is considered by, by many people to be like the pith Buddhist guidance, the Four Noble Truths. The first truth is that Things are hard sometimes, suffering exists. And that's important to be, um, to accept. Because when we're in acceptance about things are hard sometimes, we get it that that's part of what it means to be a living being and we're not railing against it as though mis you know, a mistake has been made every time something's hard. First noble truth, things are hard sometimes for all living beings. It's just part of the deal of being here. Second noble truth, the cause of suffering, the cause of dukkha, of our real agony during our time here on earth, is what's translated as thirst or clinging wanting things to be other than they are. And when we want things to be other than they are, we grasp, we lean forward, we grasp, and we push away. Impatience is that aspect of clinging where we're pushing experience away. No. I don't care that you're arising in the present moment. I don't want you. I want something else. Impatience is that particular brand of reactivity. Third noble truth, it's possible to be free of this. It's possible to live this life as we're given it with its challenges and have peace. It seems impossible, and it's not impossible. It is possible. And then the fourth noble truth, how do we get there? How do we get there to that kind of peace in this life with this amount of suffering?
And the Buddha said, there's three aspects to the noble path of the fourth noble truth. There's wisdom, there's kindness, and there's practice. So wisdom means beginning to really discern what actually, through, through learning and then ultimately through our own direct experience, what actually feels good inside? What actually brings peace? Tuning in, what actually brings peace? Wise understanding. There's a bunch of different aspects to this learning and insight. Part of it is beginning to see that when we are in integrity, generosity, truthfulness, kindness, patience, when we are like radically kind and compassionate, our own insides open up into vast, spacious ease. And I'm not, you know, I've been told that, and you've been told that, we've heard this before, really the way that we, that we grok that isn't by hearing it, it's by paying attention to our own experience. When we're in radical kindness, there's something happening inside that in Buddhism is called the highest happiness, and that is peace. So wise understanding directs us to really beginning to see, okay, all right, so compassion, integrity, also impermanence, really letting go of expectation of for things to stay the same, understanding about loss is part of the deal here too. Wise understanding, and then once we're kind of in place with wise understanding, we move into wise intention. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to walk this direction. Yeah. Show me the way. I'm headed. I'm, I'm on the path. When I fall off the path, I get back up again. Every time we get lost in thought and we come back to, oh yeah, feeling body and breath in the present moment, that's wise intention, getting back on this path. And then the next three are all about kindness. Wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood, wise meaning. Loving, coming from a place of goodness. Not righteous, not better than. Just kind. Causing as little harm as possible. And of course, others benefit from that, but so do we. And then the final three are wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And those are all about really practicing with these insights. So if we're working with wise understanding and, uh, and wise 
intention and, and then all of the integrity or morality ones about wise kindness, we're, we're learning to allow, we're learning to hold with compassion, we're learning to let go, and those are all aspects of patience. All of the ten paramis, the ten perfections of the heart that the Buddha taught, have stories, children's stories, that go with them, that depict um, the myths around the Buddha's lives before he was born as the Siddhartha who became the Buddha. And my favorite one is the story about patience, about the Buddha's working to perfect patience during a lifetime when he was a buffalo. So he was a big, beautiful buffalo in the forest, minding his own business, chewing his cud. When a really ridiculous monkey came jumping out of the trees and decided that he, uh, would get a lot of fun out of pissing off the buffalo. So he jumps on the buffalo's back and he scratches the buffalo's eyes and he pounds on the buffalo's belly and he pulls the buffalo's hair and he pokes the buffalo with sticks and slices him with reeds and this goes on for days. And the buffalo stays calm, grounded, continues just chilling out, chewing his cud. And it just doesn't matter how aggravating or insane the monkey gets, the buffalo stays calm. So while this is happening, a forest sprite is observing the whole thing go on and finally just can't stand it anymore. Comes out of its tree and says to the buffalo, why in the world are you tolerating this abuse? You have these huge horns. You could gore that monkey in five seconds. What is going on here? And the buffalo says, well, I don't, well, there's nothing about the monkey that indicates that he has friends, knows how to be with people. I want to be kind to him. And also, I don't want to be pulled down to the place where he is. I just like to tolerate him and be his friend. Well, the monkey overhears this and can't believe it. Comes out, says to the buffalo, it's true, I have no friends and thank you for caring about me. So patience is that, tolerating unpleasant, staying calm in the midst of unpleasant, both out of a kind heart and because we want to learn how to not let others bring us into their mind space. And that's possible to do. We can practice with that. So I want to invite a reflection. 
What is your experience of patience from the inside? When you have practiced patience, when something irritating, whether it's a traffic jam or a difficult relative or um, some physical pain, something unpleasant arises and you have practiced patience, what does patience feel like? And I want to invite you to go ahead and share. Um, you can just raise your hand when you have a description to offer. Same with y'all folks online. Yeah. Beautiful. She said, it feels like breathing. Yeah. Gidra. A sense of ease. Thomas. Body and shoulders relax because he's no longer waiting for something else to happen. Thank you. And now consider impatience, because this is human. What does impatience feel like when it's running through the system and you're acting on it? Yes. Tight and wired. And hypervigilant on the thing that you're wanting to have. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. What does impatience feel like in the body? Agitation. Yes. Constriction. Constriction. Yeah. Yeah. So just noticing that There's already something unpleasant going on, whatever has invoked the impatience. And then the impatience itself adds another layer of distress. So the Buddha taught about dukkha in four ways. He said, there's what's called the pain of pain. So like if I break my arm, that'll be the pain of pain. There's the pain of change when we're wanting something and because of the truth of impermanence, it changes, which it always does. There's the pain of uncertainty, the not knowing, the unpredictability, the not knowing how things will unfold. And then the Buddha also taught about the second arrow. We can receive an arrow, which will be one of these first three forms of dukkha, Pain of pain, pain of change, pain of uncertainty. These we can't control. They come to all living beings. We'll receive one of those. And then what do we do with it? Well, if we move, 
sort of reactively and automatically to impatience, it's the second arrow. It's adding more suffering to the suffering. It's fighting fire with fire. This is Pema Chodron on impatience. She says, difficulty arises, what do we usually do? We do exactly what's going to escalate the suffering. We strike out, we hit back. Something hurts our feelings, and initially there's some softness there. If you're fast, you can catch it. But usually you don't even realize there's any softness. You find yourself in the middle of a hot, noisy, pulsating, wanting to just get even with someone's state of mind. It has a very hard quality to it. With your words or your actions, in order to escape the pain of aggression, you create more aggression and pain. So I was mentioning the Eightfold Noble Path, the Fourth Noble Truth, and the first of the eight on the path is wise understanding. This is a moment where we go, oh, wait a minute. These habits passed down from generations, learned unconsciously as children and brought in, these habits are actually adding to suffering. Habits of impatience. wise understanding, moving to wise intention, I would like to practice patience. This is a quote from Gil Fronstahl. When we recognize that clear seeing, peace, compassion, and love are quite different from, even incompatible with, compulsive behaviors and reactions, the value of patience becomes apparent. Patience entails choosing not to respond reactively and allowing other possibilities to arise. It's really interesting. It's an interesting experiment that I invite us all to engage in. When we, instead of acting out on our impatience, we're choosing patience, and I'll speak in a few minutes about concrete ways we can do this, but when we're choosing patience, what Gil is saying, and also the Buddha teaches, when we, when we step out of habitual reactive response, it's very interesting, something new can arise. Something different that we just never experienced before can arise when we're kind of sitting on our hands and not doing the reactive thing. But this is an invitation to, so much of our practice is basically being our own science experiment. Like, well, okay, that's the teaching. I'm going to try it and see. And that's the invitation here. So the Pali word for patience is kanti. And that is also the word kanti that is used when in the context of translating it into forgiveness. So in other words, in this ancient uh, Buddhist understanding, patience and forgiveness are synonymous. 
And I love that because forgiveness, well, they both, they're both uh, compassion practices, but forgiveness is really a, a compassion practice. We're having self-compassion and compassion for whoever we're forgiving or whatever. And patience is like that too, even if it's a little thing like being patient with a, a tick, you know, um, not, well, we could be patient with the terrible bug too. <laughs> I'm thinking about being patient with like a little twitch in your skin, you know? But, um, mm-hmm. but any kind of patience that we practice is kind of a form of forgiveness, forgiving reality for being what it is. So there are three traditional forms of patience that we can practice. And as I read these, see if you can sense this, the kind of the forgiveness in them. The first is gentle perseverance. Just hanging in there. The second, patience under insult. And the third is acceptance of truth. Phil, somebody's not muted. Can yeah. you mute all on your end? Yeah, and folks there, double check that you're muted. Excellent, thank you. Um, So, gentle perseverance, patience under insult, and acceptance of truth. Gentle perseverance means it allows forward movement, which is essential for our growth and just well-being we need we when we get stuck or stagnant it hurts we need to keep moving forward through our whole lives in a variety of ways gentle perseverance allows for that uh, we come to the hard stuff the obstacles we're gentle per, this form of per, patience allows us to endure it and when we come to the fun stuff happy stuff gentle perseverance allows us not to be distracted and pulled off track by the fun, distracting stuff. Hanging in kind of a perseverance. That's also the waiting, all the waiting that we do. Here's Gil Fronstall again regarding patience under insult. He says, patience under insult means not succumbing to anger, aggression, or despair when threatened. Anger, aggression, or despair when threatened. These are all forms of reactivity. And just to give ourselves space, just to say we need to be patient also with our own reactivity. We do go to anger, aggression, or despair. It's further impatience to beat ourselves up about that. Third arrow, fourth arrow, fifth arrow. So, and at some point, bringing in, releasing our reactivity and choosing instead to bring in compassion under insult. Being mindful of our reactions and emotional responses. And then the patience that involves acceptance of truth, the willingness to see deeply without resistance the truth of the moment. So, right in this moment, 
my ankles are a little sore because of how I'm sitting. And I can be with that truth and, you know, it's not bad at all, but so it's easy to be with. But being with the truth of the moment, just not being in denial about it, just being like, okay, this is what's happening right now. And even noticing maybe neutral, pleasant, unpleasant, and abiding with what's arising in the moment, seeing the truth of what is. It helps us surrender to what is instead of fighting to make things how we want them to be. A lot of our restlessness in meditation practice is that, fighting to try to make the moment more physically pleasant. Okay, so, so that was sort of a spiel on patience. So now I want to bring us to this question about how do we practice it? When we leave here, if, if any of us have set an intention to deepen our capacity for patience, what do we actually do? So I want to suggest these four things, and I'll elaborate on them. Return, restrain, reframe, and remember. Return, restrain, reframe, and remember. Return means mindfulness, return to the present moment. There's a song from the Jewish tradition that's often sung around this time of year for High Holy Days called Return Again. And I sing it with most of my sanghas. Uh, when my, I have several sanghas that I meet with online, and I sing it with all of them, actually, because I, I feel like that's what practice is in daily life. Returning again and again Return to who we are, return to what we are, return to where we are born and we're born again, here and now. So one very simple way to work with patience is to return fully to the present moment. And then once we're here, we have two things we can do that really help. Um, really help untangle impatience. One is name it and feel it in the body. Oh, okay, this is impatience. And then see where, how do you know that? How do you know it's impatience? It's a story in the mind and what's happening in the body. And when we're, when we're aware of it, we've immediately moved into a different relationship to it. We've gone from being it, being the impatience, identified with it fully, to seeing it, from being to seeing, moving into the place of the compassionate witness. Okay, this is impatience. The other thing that's really, uh, really nice, really nourishing that can happen when we're in a present moment, even a difficult one in which uh, impatience has arisen, we can broaden our perspective. What else is here? What am I seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, smelling? Both of those, again, I just invite you to experiment. They can really diffuse impatience.
So that's return. Restraint. This is um, more my lived experience of patience. Well, what I find, so when I asked uh, what, what was your experience of patience, people shared the spaciousness and the peace that can come. And for sure, that's, that's a part of it. And if what I'm practicing trying to be patient with and not be reactive around is um, a, something that's, you know, either a difficult person or a situation that I'm, I'm really afraid is going to have a scary or detrimental effect, then patience also has some brave staying with unpleasant without acting on it. There's some strength involved in patience. And when you think about, you know, the really heavy, heavyweights in patience, our spiritual um, superstars of our lifetimes, um, and before our lifetimes, but of the 20th century, like Gandhi and Dr. King and and our present ones, Dalai Lama, their capacity to, to be with the unpleasant and tolerate it without acting out is phenomenal. And so there's that aspect of restraint. So we feel the anger, or fury, or irritation, or despair, and acknowledge it internally, but not act it out pausing before reacting to a difficult situation, taking a breath. I have, because it was so notable, I have a strong memory of when I first chose, I had a difficult relative who could really um, activate me with their with with their words and i remember the first time i chose to tolerate their words without fighting back i remember how hard it was and i remember my resolve to not add to the fire and so I just said, could we agree to disagree? And they said no, and they kept going. So I said, I'm going to go get a glass of water, which I did. And then I went into the guest room, and it was very odd. It was very odd to, to not become reactive, feel all that distress inside, not speak it, not act it out, go sit on the bed in the guest bedroom, and then notice how quickly it all dissipated. So much more quickly than if I had engaged. I had to let my ego take a hit, though. I wasn't defending my ego, and it was worth it. I, you know, we, it doesn't 
often defending the ego is just such a massive waste of time and, and adds to suffering. So this is Pema Chodron again. We can suppress anger and aggression or act it out, either way making things worse for ourselves and others. Or we can practice patience, wait, experience the anger, and investigate its nature. Patience has a lot to do with getting smart at a difficult point and just waiting, not speaking or doing anything. On the other hand, it also means being completely and totally honest with yourself about the fact that you're furious or despairing or whatever your go-to is with difficult. You're not suppressing anything. Patience has nothing to do with suppression. In fact, it has everything to do with a gentle, honest relationship with yourself. If you wait and don't feed your discursive thought, you can be honest about the fact that you're angry. You just wait and remain patient with your confusion and the pain that comes with it. This suggests the fearlessness that goes with patience. If you practice the kind of patience that leads to the de-escalation of suffering, you will be cultivating enormous courage. You know, it's so funny that the qualities of a human heart that really require the most bravery are often reduced in mainstream culture to Hallmark cards. And we think, that's, that's not strength, that's, that's a Valentine's card. The strongest people that we see on this planet are the ones who practice radical patience, radical forgiveness, radical kindness, fearlessness and courage. So that's all restraint. So we have Return, which is coming back to the present moment. Restraint, which is taking the pause and not acting out the reactivity. And then reframe. Super helpful when we're impatient to, depending on what's happening, deliberately invoke compassion or deliberately invoke appreciation and gratitude or sometimes both. So I want to tell you a story that Sylvia shares. Sylvia Borstein. This is from Art George, a driving safety teacher in Marin County, California. I was driving north on Highway 101, just 10 minutes past the Golden Gate Bridge, on my way to the Richmond Bridge in San Rafael. I planned to cross the bay and drive on north from there to Antioch, 
where I had an important business meeting. Even though it was midday, I found myself suddenly in gridlock traffic. I thought I might miss my appointment in Antioch. I began to feel anxious. I became irritated at the drivers ahead of me jockeying between lanes. Then I became irritated at the drivers I saw joining the freeway traffic from entrance ramps without leaving any space for the cars already on the highway to move forward. It was looking less and less likely that I'd be at my appointment on time. I noticed that my body had become tense and I was gripping the wheel. Then I looked out the driver's side window and saw Mount Tamalpais. I looked out to my right and I saw Richardson's Bay. I thought, I'm sitting between two major tourist attractions. People come from all over the world to sit exactly where I'm sitting right now in order to have this view. I sat back and appreciated the view, my hands unclenched, my body relaxed, my mind relaxed, and then I had this big revelation. I'll get to Antioch when I get to Antioch. Maybe today, maybe not today, maybe I'll be there for the meeting, maybe I won't be there for the meeting. Whatever will be, will be. My getting aggravated is not changing the situation. It's making it worse. When the traffic did start up again, I didn't drive too fast, so I didn't become a menace to myself and everyone else on the highway. That's the important part. I say to my students, you need to keep looking for whatever perspective you can find that will transform the moment. So sometimes it's gratitude, just remember, and we can, and I have, and I recommend this as a strategy when, when you know, things are just too hard, too overwhelming, you're too tired, it's too much. That's how impatience is kind of showing up really helpful to spend some time naming even simple mundane things that usually go under the radar that you're really grateful for and kind of get in tune with the generosity of the universe which is real and very uplifting to the heart so that can be very helpful compassion can be very helpful let's see where I this is a poem, if I can find it, from um, Miller Williams. Here it is. When someone else is driving you crazy, this is a helpful reminder. Have compassion for everyone you meet, even if they don't want it. What seems conceit, bad manners, or cynicism is always a sign of things no ears have heard, no eyes have seen. You do not know what wars are going on down there where the spirit meets the bone. That's really true. It's just simply true. Amit Sood, who used to be the mental health guru for Mayo Clinic and now has his own clinic, has said, every person you see 
is special to someone and struggles. When our heart is in a place of compassion, they're stronger. They can tolerate more tomfoolery from others. So reframe. So return. Um, to remember my, I just thought of it this afternoon, so I don't have it memorized myself yet, even though it's all our words. Thank you. <laughs> return, restrain, reframe, and remember. Okay, so the thing that I want to, we're, we're running low on time, but the thing I want to suggest that we remember and we can only remember this if we knew it in the first place. So if I'm asking you to remember something that you're not familiar with, I highly recommend getting familiar with this. This is another super central Buddhist teaching. And it's the three characteristics of existence. So if you know it, remember it. And if you don't know it, it's helpful. Worth, worth, worth investigating. So here's what they are. The three characteristics of existence are impermanence, imperfection, and impersonality. This is how Ruth King describes them, Sally Armstrong, some of the teachers at Spirit Rock. They're anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, dukkha, or suffering, and anatta, not self, or no self. There's a lot of ways to understand those, but I'm just going to go right to how they might help us um, dismantle impatience. So the truth of impermanence, we get deeper and deeper in our relationship with that, with mindfulness practice, and it really helps the mind let go and stop expecting things to stay the same. It's a super useful thing to remember in a moment of impatience. Whatever awful thing is happening now that's very hard to tolerate, it will end. This moment will pass. And when we can remember that in the moment, again, like compassion, the recall recalling of impermanence can just help us hang on and stay in the boat. Let the moment pass. Don't add fire to the fire. Dukkha imperfection. So again, hard stuff happens to all living beings. We don't improve it by hating it. We improve it by accepting it and bringing in compassion. Dukkha, imperfection, and also literal imperfection. Like, we desperately need to be free of the illusion of perfection, that waiting for ourselves to become perfect or someone else to become perfect or the world to become perfect, and just allow the dukkha of life to be what it is. It's just, stuff's not perfect here. 
So impermanence, imperfection, and then the fourth is um, anatta or no self, or I like how Thich Nhat Hanh describes it, interbeing. Like, imagine that this moment that we're all in, imagine this whole moment is just one thing. And, and you have your little dot of consciousness, like taking it in and, and we're all sharing it. We're all, we're all interbeing with each other. And really, there's, when, when we're looking at uh, no self through the lens of working with reactivity and impatience, it can be helpful just, just simply to remember that there are massive intertwined causes and conditions to every arising moment. And it's not about you. In fact, there is no you for it to be about, but that's sometimes hard to get. But it's not about you. Not to take it personally. Oh my God, the relief in that. So, return, restrain, reframe, remember. And our quest for patience is a lifelong deepening. We spiral around and then we get a little deeper and we spiral around. And St. Francis de Sales said, have patience with everyone and primarily yourself. Okay, thank you. We have just a few minutes if anybody online or here at the monastery has any comments or questions, thoughts or reflections on patience. Oh, Nathan. Thanks. Hi, thank you so much for the talk. It's, it was been wonderful to hear you. Um, I was so struck by how you practice patience in difficult conversations with that family member. I feel the same in my own life. And there have been times when I tried to endure or just try to not activate my own ego. But at the same time, I. I do recall like maybe it was the Dalai Lama who said, or somebody who was saying that there's foolish compassion. Like, how do I know what, how do I use wisdom to separate what I can tolerate versus what I feel I need to speak out for maybe on uh, behalf of myself or somebody else? Yes, thank you. Sorry, thanks Nathan. <laughs> Um, so Nathan was saying, you know, he was appreciating my reflections on being with a difficult family member. And he's also remembering the Dalai Lama speaking about foolish compassion and how to discern when we do need to speak out on behalf of oneself or someone else. And that's a really important question. And my understanding from the Buddhist teachings is that we need our mindfulness to tune into our intention. Is my speaking out, however righteous I feel, 
Is it coming from um, anger, defensiveness, arrogance even sometimes? You know, I, if I don't ask, I might not know. You know, it, it could just all just happen and I could have zero clue. You know, well, the great thing about mindfulness is that it's humbling, but we can tune in and find out, oh, hold on a minute. You know, I'm enraged. <laughs> Let me go take a breather. Also possible to use mindfulness, tune in and become very clear in a moment too. It doesn't have to be something we have to go ponder for 10 days. You know, it can, it can become very clear in a moment. I need to act now and it's out of compassion. You know, like I need to grab the child out from getting out of the sidewalk so they don't get hit by a car, kind of immediate action. And there's enough clarity of discernment to say, yes, this is coming absolutely from compassion. So I think that's how we discern. And motives can be mixed, they usually are, you know, and, and moments happen quick. So we have to have a lot of patience with ourselves, notice the good, um, keep building on, you know, our, our practices. Yeah, is that it? Did that get to it, Nathan? Yeah, I think so. Thank you. Sure, thank you. Thomas. Thanks, Phil. Uh -uh. It, it was not turned on. I got it. <laughs> Thank you. A comment and a question. So the big takeaway in a simple sentence was what you said, can I forgive this moment for being as it is? I just love that. Nice. Um, and then as you were responding to this other question, you know, there are times when being sedate is not the answer. You right. know, being calm and, and I'm thinking of, you know, what's in the news about the, the brawl on the, the dock in Montgomery, Alabama, where people stepped in and, you know, I mean, it got really out of hand. But there was something going on that needed a response. And just being, trying to be equanimous with what is was not perhaps appropriate. Yeah. Um, do you want to say any more about how we can discern, you know, yeah. when it's time to step into the gap? Definitely. And even if that means a second arrow for ourselves. Yes. Like maybe some harm will come. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so this is Thomas, and the first thing that he said was that his takeaway was um, forgiving the moment for being what it is. Is that right? And then he was reflecting on Nathan's question and um, saying that, um, you know, this thing that's in the news about the brawl on the dock in Montgomery, Alabama, and how sometimes there is a need to step in even when we'll Ex might experience suffering ourselves um, and just to say more about that discernment. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think we tend to be culturally too passive and not 
not strideful enough in our compassionate action. Compassion by its definition involves action. It, that's what differentiates it from empathy. And, and when we see harm being caused, um, it is appropriate to do something. Yes. And it takes courage because we don't know what will happen. It takes risk-taking. Yeah. As far as discerning how, so my experience, and you can see if this resonates for you, is that in a moment, I ask my heart, you know, what is in most integrity? What is the, what is the wise thing to do? And wise doesn't always mean the safest thing, but it means what is integrity with my heart? Like, I remember striding up when a bunch of kids right here, walking distance from here, a bunch of high school kids were beating up a homeless man. And other people were walking by, and I didn't even, I just walked right up to the kids and shouted at them, and I was lucky. I might not have been. And yet that was what was integrity in the moment. So I think that's what we have to listen to. Yeah. All right, my dears, it is nine o'clock. Um, may the merit of our practice and our very lives be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings everywhere be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings everywhere know peace and the causes of peace. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.